0: I tell people the first thing you need to do before anything else is to make sure that your space, I say your space, because when you think in terms of LinkedIn, that's the same as somebody giving you a billboard on, on Interstate 95 and say, this is yours free. You do what you want to do with it. At least you'd be surprised the number of people just neglect that.
1: Then comes the part where you believe that life is a team exercise and that true collaboration means expecting and envisioning greater opportunities that never occur in solitude. The Reach West radio show welcomes Ron Thomas, the founder of the Strategy Focus Group, an international consulting firm based in Dubai. listening to reach west radio with your host kevin w grossman it's time to live the effectual stretch So Ron, thank you so much for being on Reach West Radio. And before we dive into the rest of the show, why don't you first get in your way back machine and talk a little bit about the aspirational world of work that what, where it all started for you when you were either a kid or even a teenager? Um, what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: Wow, yeah, let's take it way back. Well, you know, I always was fascinated by business. My father owned a taxi company growing up, so business was always talked at the table. So I knew that. I would eventually end up doing some type business, although I went to college to get a job. And uh, I did that for a while, but always in the back of my mind, it was trying to find something to do. And I eventually, at one point in time, I owned a 7-Eleven store. I bought a store from two older guys who had a store. And this was in New Jersey. And I just I just looked at 7-Eleven and, and had it to the to the architects to kind of build it out the same way. You know, but I named that uh I, the name was tops quick because that was my so-called nickname growing up so that's how that whole thing started you know in business but it was always something centered around business and just wanting to be a part of you know earning my own way kind of so to speak
1: sure now before i want to talk a little bit more about that that convenience store that you that you you own and ran for a while, but let, let's go back and leave in a little bit farther. What was one of the first jobs you, that you had, maybe even as a teenager? Uh, what was that all about?
0: Uh, first job was I was in eighth grade and I was worked for at a barbershop, shining shoes. And that was kind of a Saturday thing. And, um, you know, shining shoes. Guys will come and get a haircut. They bring the shoes and I shine shoes. And eventually the owner of the place asked me what I want to learn how to cut hair. So, you know, I said, sure, why not? You know, at least that would earn me more money. And I started doing that and uh, eventually got licensed. And um, so I did that from throughout high school as well as in college. I didn't, I didn't pursue any long after college. To me, it was just a way to earn some extra money. It wasn't a career choice at all.
1: But you know what, though? But here's the thing. Not everybody <laughs> can and should be allowed to cut hair, right? <laughs> I mean, so... Because of that experience, though, I mean, that's pretty, you know, that was pretty transformative. I mean, you learned, that that was something that you learned and you did for years, and I assume you did well. What were some of the early learning, what was some of the early takeaways from that? Just that experience of um, working in the barbershop. I had a, my first job was a paper route. And I, and the thing that I was, the thing that I was scared to death of, Ron, scared to death to go to go collect every month uh the way at least used to be before you before <laughs> online, I had to go knock on the doors that I delivered to yeah,
0: collect the revenue stream, right
1: yeah, I had to ask them for their monthly their monthly check and i I was yeah. scared scared to death to do that, oh, just every single time for i didn't have the i don't know how long I had the paper out, not years like your first job, I maybe had it for half a year, and it was. That was one of the things that it took me a long time to get over. What are the takeaways from the barbershop work?
0: Well, you know, if you've ever sat in a barbershop a long time, you know there's a lot of talking going on and boasting and all those kind of things and the ability to connect with people. You know, I've often said of all the education I have, the ability to work in a barbershop at that young of an age and watch older men, and you could see the ones that were successful coming in and the respect they were given, you learn. People's, I don't want to say people's skills, but the dynamics of people, how people interact and, you know, the way people carry themselves and demand respect. And, you know, it was just an eye opening thing for me. And I look back on it today and I said that of all the education I have, I look back on that. I think I learned more in that situation about people and the dynamics of people. I can pretty much walk into any room and not know, not know anyone and feel very, very comfortable being in that space and striking up a conversation.
1: That's life skills right there that you learned early on. And that's, 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 That's yeah, exactly. That was pretty amazing. So real quick again about, so the convenience store, was that, was that before or after college?
0: Oh, the convenience store was after college. I was uh, working, I was working for IBM and I had some extra money. I heard this old guy was selling the store and, um, you know, I went and asked him about it and, you know, it was within reason and I made him an offer and he took it up and I owned that for nine years. But it was too much. It was a, it was a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week kind of thing, three shifts, and I think I had employed about maybe 15 people, and I was probably in my 30s, I'd say, and it was just, it was just too much. I bought the store, and they were grossing around 200,000 a year. I took it up to a million a year. Wow. And I couldn't do it anymore. I mean, it, it was. It was just taking up so much time and the work ethic for a lot of the people are hired, you know, the shift is changing and somebody calls out sick and I'd been there since six in the morning. Now i got to stay to midnight and it just got to be that I had to get out of it. So when it came time for the renewal, I stole it off to somebody and just walked away from it and I went back to working at IBM full time.
1: I've heard that, that, that working, running a store in, in that kind of Anywhere for that matter, it, it does take a lot of work. I can't even imagine um, the hours that you put in.
0: Oh, I was it was it was unreal. It was absolutely unreal. But I knew that I couldn't do that, and didn't want any parts of that kind of business anymore. I was still thirsty for a business, but I knew it was not going to be a retail. Customer facing, twenty four hour day kind of I knew that was out.
1: Let's go back to education then. Um, so, what what kinds of education did you have beyond high school, and and how did that inform any of your career decisions that that came after that?
0: Well, I majored in business. As I said, my father owned a business, and so I was yep. always fascinated by business. So that was kind of a that was kind of a, a something. Me and I, I have two. I had two brothers, and we all majored in business. My kids all majored in business. It was kind of a, a given that, you know, you were going to major in business. And we were always fascinated by it. The dinner table conversation was always around business, opportunities, challenges of running a business, that kind of thing. So, it, you know, when I went to college, I knew from the time I was applying for college what I was going to major in. So that was the, you know, I see people in college at first, you know, they're going into the sophomore year. They still don't know what they're going to do. And, they, and they're majoring in all these all these what I call side majors and I'm like, how can you earn any money doing that? You know, but people do what they want, but I knew that I knew that, my calling would be business. So, uh, that's what I did.
1: You know, it, it's funny that you say, <laughs> say that because I knew that early on, Ron, I knew my calling wasn't going to be in business. Although I'm there now, <laughs> I've always, I was always more yeah. on, the, I was always a creative growing up, right? A writer and d- doing different things like that. And I never, What's fascinating to me is that I never took one business class in college. My major was psychology and so, oh, really? social sciences. Yeah. But it wasn't until, you know, everything for me was like, quote unquote, learned on the street, like in real life. Right. Some very, very, very difficult lessons. But the, okay. the, the long short story of it is. Now, I'm a total economics junkie, and I do love all aspects of business, and that's why I do these shows, to talk more about it, about the personal side of what it is, of, of why we do what we do in the world of work. So, right. T- right. let's talk about, right. the, the, speaking of a, a field, an industry um, that you've been in for quite a while now, from even from a business perspective, is human resources, right? So, tell us a little bit about how, that, how you came to be in that field, and where, and what, where those early starters were.
0: Well, you know, during the time that I had that store, I was fascinated. At, uh, office uh, Microsoft Office was just coming into play, and I was fascinated with computers. I bought a computer, I bought a book, and every night I'd go home and I start on page one, push the button to on, and all these kinds of things. So I learned how to do databases. I think a base I forget now. The program was out at that time, and um, I learned Microsoft Office uh, Word, Excel. PowerPoint. And then I saw an ad in the Sunday paper for, you know, that's dated, that ad in the Sunday paper. But anyway, <laughs> I see an ad that, says, that, that said that they were looking for someone to teach Microsoft Office at night. And this was about my eighth year into the store. So I'd leave the store and go and teach this class. Well, I, first of all, I went and convinced this guy that I could do it. You know, and I knew, I knew about a chapter ahead of what the people were trying to learn. So that's kept me you know, on my toes. And I, um, so I started doing that. So eventually when I sold a store, I got a job back with IBM because they had a big training center at Citicorp Center in New York. And I started working there and was just so fascinated and glad to be out of that retail business that I just really got into it. And about a year in my, the manager who, was, who hired me was getting married and moving to Texas. And all of a sudden, all the big shots show up one day, and they called me in, and they said, you know what, we like your work ethic, we like what you've been doing here, and hearing a lot of good things about you, and we want to make you the training manager. Now, I, I was one amongst about 20 trainers, and these people had longevity there, you know, a lot higher than mine was, and they offered me the role. And uh, I had to, had, to, had to sue some feathers, because a lot of people were really kicked off, because they felt it should have been them. And, But the powers that be said they thought it was me. So I stayed there for, I'm going to say for probably four or five years until IBM sold that business off. And when they sold that business off, I was trying to find another job. And that's when I I interviewed at Martha Stewart and was hired to come there as the training manager and got there as training manager and the head of HR and I hit it off. And she said, you know, I'd really like for you to learn more about human resources and whatnot, you know, you were kind of in a niche area. Why don't you help us on some other things? So that kind of morphed into that. And that's, this was around 2000. And, and when I left there in 2009, 2010, I was vice president of human resources. It was a great and fertile environment at that time. Good culture. It's probably the only place I've ever worked that I, I look forward to Sunday being over so that I can go to work on Monday morning.
1: Wow. Not, not a lot of people can say that, Ron.
0: You are right about that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not a lot of people can say that. We talk about that a lot in our space and you know this, we've done this for a long time. Kind of, it's like, you know, the buzzword or the buzz, the buzz terminology of, you know, Oh, you got to love what you do. And, I mean, some people. We all have to make yeah, a li- yeah, yeah. We, we all have to make a living too, though, right? I mean, that's there's a reality, uh, yeah, an yeah. economic reality. But there is something to the fact that, that you can do both, make a living with what you do, and enjoy m- much if not all of what you do. That's a big win.
0: Yeah, exa- exactly. Because you know, it's not work. And even now, what I'm doing, I'm in the same space now. You know, I was on a flight. I flew into Singapore, and that's about a seven or eight-hour flight, and it was an all-night flight. And I worked at least halfway there, and I woke up in the morning, and I was still reading some papers, marking them up, some white papers. And the guy behind me, he said, damn, he said, you know, you're you a hard-working person. He said, you pretty much worked the entire trip. And I, and I laughed, and I said, well, you know what? I said, the operative word was work. And that's relative. I said, because to me, it wasn't work. It was just doing something I enjoy doing. I said, every time I get on a flight, I've got a stack of things to do. And I use that time, quiet time, no phone, no nothing, um, to just work. And I said, so it, it's not really work to me. And he kind of gave me one of these looks like this guy needs to put on one of these jackets. <laughs> <laughs> one of these custom jackets, you
1: know. He <laughs> <laughs> put you in a straight straight jacket. There you go. Right. So, so listen, so now you've gone, so you went from the States and now you're like working all halfway across the world and working in a, a, a multiple regions you're, not, you're working in the Middle East and Africa, as well as Asia Pacific. So tell us, tell us more about yeah. what, what you're doing, what the move was all about, why you took it and what you're doing there.
0: Well, I came about, you know, I came into work with morning at this time, You know, Martha Stewart closed down. I was working for Xerox's HR consulting practice, and I came in one morning, and there was an email, and the email said, "Would you be interested in a role as chief human resource officer for a company in Saudi Arabia?" And I said, "You know what? I've never done the expat thing. I had done some work in China. China Gorman took a group of us over to uh, an executive exchange program to." Beijing and Shanghai back in 2009, I think it was. And I was always intrigued by that. I thought I would really like to have a role doing HR in another country. So this email comes in and I follow it up and it takes about three to four months. And eventually they offered me the job. So I left, I left New York one afternoon and I flew into Saudi Arabia, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, got off the flight. and It was about 115 degrees. All desert. <laughs> And I I went there and I took over this role as it was the transformation project. Well, that's what I was sold on the transformation project, but it turned out totally different. But anyway, I stayed there for about a year and a half. But what happened with that? Because Saudi is kind of a closed country. There's really not a lot to do. No alcohol. No movie theaters. No nothing. So all you got to do is work, go to the grocery store, and go to the gym. So I, someone had called me and asked me me that you know what I put your name forward because they need somebody backed out from speaking at a conference and would you be willing to step in I said sure no problem well this guy calls me up and he says I need you to come to Dubai which is like an hour and a half away because I need someone to speak on run a workshop on this topic would you do it I said sure he sent me the ticket and after the first time I had ever been to Dubai, and I came here and it was, like, it was like coming to a futuristic city. I'm like, wow. Because I was living in Saudi Arabia, which is 180 degrees from that look. And this particular job, there really wasn't working out to what I thought it was. And so I was in the hunt trying to figure out how I was going to get there. And all of a sudden, I get another call that said "That great place to work, the office that was located in Dubai, was looking for a CEO. Would I be interested? <laughs> so two things were covered. It was was a step up from my title, and the other was I'd be living in Dubai, and I went after that wholeheartedly, and I took that, and eventually, I got that role, but by this time, I had been speaking all over the region. Every major conference, I was speaking from Europe to India to Africa, and it's very restricted when you, if you were to speak at a conference, and somebody came up and gave you a business card and said, Kevin, you know... um, i got a project I'm working on and what you were just talking about. I could really use your help. You can't do that here because if you, your, your visa is tied to a company uh-huh. and those visas, you're not allowed to do any work outside. But I had stacked up so many of these cards. And so I took this role as CEO. And eventually when it came time for the uh, renewal, I told these guys, I said, you know what? This, this thing is not going to work. Let me just go ahead and do my own thing. So. I, I registered my company, and I was doing some work uh, for Human Capital Institute out of the U.S., and I pitched them on the possibility of me setting up an international operation over here. I would run it through my company, and we closed that deal. And between that and the consulting, following up with people, and, so now I pr- I'm pretty much on the road three weeks out of the month. I'm from Singapore, Kuala Lumpur. Jakarta which I fly to next week I think it is and um, then I'm in Africa so I'm pretty much on the road like I said three weeks out of the month and it's just amazing I would never have thought that it would work out like this you know but uh just having fun
1: you've got this would you be interested mojo that I'd like to get some of okay and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm joking with you because, you know, you, you've, you, everything, every segue that you've just explained to me, Ron, has, has involved somebody saying, hey, Ron, would you be interested? <laughs> that's great. It's all the work that you've done has paid off, right, for, for you. So, so speaking of that, and again, and you love what you do now, that's awesome, and, 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 and traveling all the time which, and, and doing what you really enjoy doing. What's one thing that you would recommend to somebody who's maybe at the beginning of this journey that maybe has an opportunity to take a a big risk and maybe leave the States if they're in the States, right? And go to somewhere else in the region around the world and work. Would you, what would you recommend to them?
0: Well, you know what? This is one of the things I noticed about when I say us, U.S. folk, is the fact that we only look for jobs in our country. We only look for jobs in U.S. And I've run into people who've lived in Vietnam. I've run into people who've lived in, even lived in, in, in Iraq. I know a guy that works for PepsiCo Pepsi-Cola in Iraq. He's lived in Singapore, you know, doing human resources. The vast majority of these human resource jobs, well, at one point in time, because there's been some change in the laws, are headed by people from another country. Because people from doing HR, say, in U.S., you're about three steps above what they're doing in this region. And companies want to get there. They're understanding the value of people. And they're trying to figure out a way to do it. So they're bringing someone from outside to do it. When I was hired in Saudi Arabia, I asked the young little lady that recruited me. We had lunch one day and I said, you know what? I said, I want to find, talk- how did you find me? I said, you know, I'm in, I'm in New York, 7,000 miles away. And she said, your LinkedIn profile. She said, I read your LinkedIn profile. and It was, it, it was uh, very unique. And I just thought that, you know, maybe there's something here. Huh. So I tell people, the first thing you need to do before anything else is to make sure that your faith, I say your faith, because when you think in terms of LinkedIn, that's the same as somebody giving you a billboard on, on Interstate 95 and say, this is yours, free, you do what you want to do with it. At least you'd be surprised the number of people just neglect that. I was talking to, some, to someone the other day. And one of the, the, her her goal was to become chief human resource officer for a Fortune 500 company. So we were talking, and, and it's before I got the call, I pulled up her uh, LinkedIn profile, and it was a basic profile. And I'm like, "You're talking about a leap." I said, this "I'm thinking to myself, this thing would take six months to to to, to uh, I mean to put some content in there because it, it doesn't say anything." Right. I would say the first thing you want to do is is make sure that's maxed out, and then you want to join some HR group, say from Singapore HR Association, Hong Kong HR Society, or whatever it is. Malaysia Human Resource Development, Mumbai. I was in Mumbai two weeks ago for the World HR World Human Resource Development Congress, which I'm on the advisory board, and get in these groups, start contributing. You know, if you're writing anything, put some articles out there because you have to expand your bandwidth and, and it can be done. Now, the Middle East c- countries are, are tightening up on that because of a lot of cases. I'll give you Saudi Arabia as, as an example because they've got some financial challenges now. Mm-hmm. Is that they're saying no expat can have a job in human resources because there's so many of their countrymen that are not working. So they feel that they had a Saudi running hr specifically in recruiting you know um it gives them a better opportunity to close that gap but the vast majority of other companies just wide open you know but we don't really pursue that you know we 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 look for work right in our town and you know we want to stay there and and if somebody said oh well i'll come I wouldn't be interested, but I have a family. I'm like, and, and people over here don't have a family? <laughs> if you come over in that capacity, your your kids are going to go to private school. They're going to go to school to what's called an international school. So they'll, they'll make friends with kids from all over the world. You can't buy that kind of education.
1: Hey, listen, Ron, So, and, and you opened up something that, God, it would take a whole another series of shows to talk about. Just the, the, the changing socioeconomic political climate throughout the world, which I don't want to go into. And, you and I, I know, feel the same way about a lot of things. But um, that's also changing, I think, kind of yeah. the 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 scope of of what that looks like working abroad as well. But thank you so much for being on Reach West Radio. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you at some point in, in the near future in person.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I would like that. Because last time we hung out together, I think it was in Austin, Texas. That was 2008.
1: Long time ago.
0: But TLNT. Uh, yep. Yeah, long a time long, ago. Long
1: time ago. Well, listen, Ron, take care, okay, and, we'll, and we'll talk soon. Reach wise, reach well, reach west, and live the effectual stretch. We'll feel you next time on Reach West Radio. Hey, Bryce, what would you like to be when you grow up? Um, a marine biologist. Beatrice, what would you like to be when you grow up? A firefighter. Why do you want to be a marine biologist? Because I like ocean animals and I think they're sweet. <laughs> and Beatrice, why do you want to be a firefighter? So I can help people in fires. Awesome. I, I love, love Reatress chicken. <laughs> <laughs> One more time. I, I love, love redress, redress Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs>